Good morning again. We're continuing on in our series, Jesus On, uh, the message of the Sermon on the Mount for today. A few weeks ago, as we're going through the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus introduces how we should pray. And we've talked about that a few weeks from the Sermon on the Mount. And then we've kind of gone off a little bit. And I've looked at some other passages, some other things Jesus has said on prayer, and we continue to do that this morning, and then we'll be back in uh, to right through the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Matthew chapter 6, so we'll be talking about those kinds of things. So as we're thinking about prayer, and uh, one of the things that uh, none of us like to wrestle with or receive, and that is a no. And sometimes God will actually give us a no. Sometimes we think it may be wait, maybe, but other times it's a no. And you and I, at least I'm not, conditioned to like no's. Usually I don't like no's, and that starts off at an early place in most of our lives. Uh, Even as babies, we don't like the idea of no. 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 Uh uh-uh. uh. Don't bite the table. Julian, no, no. Julian? No. (laughs) No. that computer. I think that's a MacBook, by the way. They can listen to me. Listen to me. There's this boy. Like, I do this all the time, and if I go out at the, at the house with the little girl, Matthew has his toys, and then Matthew has all his toys. Okay, but I have to yell at you guys. Okay, Linda, Linda, listen, Be- listen, 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 you- listen, listen, Linda, listen. Okay, what? Like, everything they do at this house, it can touch everything at Grandma's house. Okay. Okay, then what? Then you're not listening to me. Then you're not listening to me. I asked you not to do something. No, no, but listen to me. Look at If we do something, if you get that out, that bird thing off, you're going to break it. Okay. But I'm asking, I'm letting you know but that you cannot, no, I'm, you're not listening to me. Linda, listen to me now. Listen to me now. No, you're not listening. I said no cupcakes and you try to get cupcakes and you try to ask grandma. Linda, Didn't you? Linda, lick it, lick it, lick it. <laughs> if you do something right this if you get clothes, you can't even get them. You and Kevin don't listen. So I have to give both of you guys pop pals in your butt. But Linda, but Grandpa's going to give me pop in the butt. No, he's not. Yeah. I have to. You want? You don't want me to hit Kevin or you don't want me to spank you? No. Why? 
Because anybody wants to spank me. Then I have to spank Kevin. But he's, the, but he's my little pop-ups. He's your little pop-ups, but he doesn't listen. But look, honey, honey, look at, mm -hmm. look at this. Right now, you can't do anything if you can't get everything out of the floor. If you're going to break everything down. I'm not breaking anything down. I'm just letting you know Linda, you cannot Linda, have it, cupcakes it, for dinner. It, Linda, Linda. I'm done arguing with you. I'm not making it at you. You need to listen to the things that I say because I'm the mom and I'm the no, adult. No, no, listen to me all the time. Mm -hmm. to keep them. All because you wanted a cupcake for dinner. But we're not too much farther from that, are we? We may not want cupcakes for dinner. Well, actually, we do want a cupcakes for dinner, but we can take them when we're our age, right? But, uh, you, you know, when our relationship with God and uh, we can be just like that uh, little boy arguing and uh, we can be just like those babies, not much to say, but uh, it's obvious that uh, we're disappointed. And often, often that whole process of when God is saying no to us, we're going to see that uh, he has something else in store for us. And yet we still can fight. I'm sure that that little boy, uh, Kevin, is going to be an attorney someday. But, uh, <laughs> you know, we just uh, have to wrestle with that. Um, earlier we've already said if you missed a week, uh, you can find that online. You can watch it or, or listen to it. But, uh, you know, as we start to, start to think about this, when God says no, uh, we've we got to ask ourselves, uh, you know, why, why is that so unsettling to us? Why does that bother us so much? I know that uh, when these uh, three little angels uh, would get no, they would freak out. They didn't want to hear no, and they looked so nice there, but they could be rough, and they could, they could really fight. And even, even now, it's great that they're not in here and Cindy's not in here, but even as they've grown up, uh, they still don't like no, and, uh, you know, it comes in different ways and, and all of that. And uh, when, I, when I'm in those moments, I realize that often I am the same way with my Heavenly Father. I do not like no's. So why are no's so unsettling? This is an add-in to your notes. You won't see these there, but just some things to think about. Uh, first of all, one of the reasons our uh, no's are so unsettling is we look to God as almost like an Aladdin's lamp. Uh, we look to the fact that we, in a sense, just uh, go to God and God's going to respond. We just uh, uh, rub that uh, lamp enough times, uh, do what needs to be done, and the genie pops out, God pops out, and uh, his just desire is to grant our wishes. And rubbing that lamp may come in different forms. We, we do certain things uh, so that uh, all of a sudden certain things happen in life. I know there was a time in my life where uh, when it came to my generosity towards God, uh, one of the reasons I was generous and trying to be generous to God is because I thought that if I was generous to him, if I gave him a little money in the offering plate, then he would be nice to me in other ways. My car might not break down as often and all those kinds of things. And maybe that happens, maybe it doesn't. But again, I was looking at God as kind of on my Aladdin's lamp, and I tried to figure out what combination do I have to like put in to get it to open so I get what I want. 
And uh, so we do that. Sometimes we look at it as a, as a first aid kit, that God uh, is a first aid kit, and we don't, re- we don't reach out to him until, like, it's an emergency, you know, break the glass, uh, ring the bell or whatever, and then God just uh, shows up. So when we get a no, it's unsettling to us because we're, we're, we're in this deep need, and it's kind of our last response. Uh, I've done everything I can do, and now I'm praying. And as from some of the previous messages, you know, we do need to do our part. But, uh, you know, when it comes to this idea of praying, it's just not like an emergency first aid kit response. Also, sometimes it seems like it's like a tug of war. Uh, I saw this video and I didn't, wasn't able to download it, but uh, this new tug of war system, instead of using a rope, I saw these people like in a canoe. And they were facing each other, and they were, like, going backwards. And, you know, as to who could get the canoe to move one way or the other way. And sometimes we feel like with that, with God, that we're, we're just in this tug of war. And we talked a little bit about persistent prayer last week. And we saw that, you know, maybe if I'm just really persistent, maybe God is more like uh, the grumpy old judge who really doesn't care about anything. But if we bug him enough, he will respond. So we just keep tugging. Uh, another thing that makes... Um, knows unsettling to us is it sometimes seems like a a form of false advertising. Uh, I don't really want to set God up for uh, a no or not working, so I kind of limit my prayers. I know sometimes when I'm in a situation, I don't, in a sense, want to put God's reputation on the lines, because if I say, Lord, will you please do this, and it seems to make sense, it seems to be common sense, a loving God would do this, and he doesn't do this, what does that do for his uh, PR in the community or the people I'm praying around? So no's can, no's can be really unsettling for us. And then we've got lots of uh, passages like this that say, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you'll find, knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives, he who seeks, finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be open. And again, that idea that, wow, I must be doing something wrong or there's something wrong with God or whatever, something's going on because I read this, these words of Jesus and it seems like when I, when I have a, a decent, not a self serving, a nice, other-centered prayer that I should get quick responses and the door, I knock on the door and it opens and everything should be fine. Uh, and it just, it just it's, it's an awkward kind of position. Um, last week, uh, we summed up the bottom line this way, and this kind of leads into what we're going to talk about now, is when we know who he is, we trust him as he is. And so even coming back to those misunderstandings, Aladdin's lamp, all those kinds of things, it's really where we're having a problem with understanding who he is. And those of us who have said to yes to Christ, those of us who are in investigative mode, uh, need to continue to lean in to see who he is. Because when we know who he is, then we can trust him as he is. And some of us have had those no's. Some of us have had those tragedies take place in our life. And, and we just, there's no good answer. There's nothing emotionally satisfying. There's nothing that just makes us feel like, oh, that's okay. But uh, it just kind of grinds at us. That's why we need to know God well. We need to know that he cares for us, loves us. And so as we really start to come to not intellectual terms with that, but it starts to get to be a part of our heart, then we can trust him as he is. You see, who he is, 
what his name is. Sometimes we sing about his name, and when we say those ideas about who he is and we talk about his name, it's because those names mean something. They reflect who he is. So when you hear a concept of, um, I trust in his name, or I call upon his name, it's because that name means something. Uh, Abraham, Sarai, maidservant. Maidservant gets kicked out. Long story. She's expecting Abraham's child and all these kinds of things, and she goes off to kind of like just let her life dry up, it's desert, all those kinds of things. And, and God speaks to her, God intervenes, and her takeaway is she calls God the God who sees me. And so the God who sees me, the name speaks to who he is. And just a side note is we've got to remember that we have a God that sees us. And when you come to terms with that, when you own that as a truth and a reality for your life, who he is, there's a God who sees me, it affects our trust. One of the, my most favorite moments where someone reveals himself and reveals his name and what his name means is from a movie like this. My history's a little hazy, Cassius. But shouldn't the barbarians lose the Battle of Carthage? Ah, uh, yes, sire. Um, forgive me, sire. Who is he? They call him the Spaniard, sire. I think I'll meet him. Yes, sire. Drop your weapons. Gladiator, the Emperor has asked for you. I'm at the Emperor's service. Deserve Spaniard. I don't think there's ever been a gladiator to match you. As for this young man, he insists you are Hector reborn. Was it Hercules? Why doesn't the hero reveal himself and tell us all your real name? You do have a name. My name is Gladiator. How dare you show your back to me? Slave! Remove your helmet and tell me your name. My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius, commander of the armies of the North, general of the Felix Legions, loyal servant to the true emperor, Marcus Aurelius, father to a murdered son, Husband to a murdered wife, and I will have my vengeance in this life or the next. Coolest scene ever. 
It makes me want to go out and fight something. How about you guys? Anyone want to go out and fight something? Let's go out in the back lot and be, you know, just make sure, you know. He reveals who he is. And if you know the whole story, the Caesar, the emperor, he's unnerved. Everyone's like, ah, oh, it's him, you know, and because and it's saying about who he is. And God wants to continually reveal more and more of himself to you and me. And as he does that, when we know who he is, we trust him as he is. And you watch the scenes in that movie in particular, and as people start to know who he is, the, the trust is significant for the gladiator. They have unbelievable trust for him. Battle strategies, all those kinds of things in the arena. Unbelievable. Call see him there. When you and I really start to know who he is, then we can trust him is, and that affects our prayers, and that affects our talking with God, and that affects understanding that he is listening, and understanding that he, when he's silent, he's not still. The disciples were with Jesus, and they continue to get a little glimpse of who he is. Sometimes you and I, as we read those stories, go, wow, it's so obvious. But for them, it was little glimpses. Many of us are familiar with the storm at sea, and Jesus calms the weather. He calms the storm. And we read this in Mark. We read, they were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Who is this? And one of the challenges for you and I who are Christ followers is that we continue to grow in our understanding of who God is and how he works. Some of you are familiar with Peter, one of Jesus' close friends. And there's a time where Jesus announces what he's going to do with his life, and uh, Peter objects to that. And in the discussion, Jesus says, you don't know how God works. They were close. So when it comes to our prayers and it comes to understanding when God says no, it goes all the way back to knowing who he is. And it's not a who he is intellectually. It's a who he is by experience. And I could pass the mic around and many of you very quickly could say, yes, God is the God who sees me. And then share something that showed you that he saw you and that bolsters your faith, that encourages you so that your communication, your prayer life grows and it becomes a part of life, life, not just something around, around the edges. So we're going to be looking at Mark 5. We're going to bounce around a little bit in it and do the stories in a different order than they flow in the passage. You have to remember that Mark writes thematically. So it's not that he totally ignores timelines, but if he wants to reveal something about Christ as he's getting this letter out, Mark will say this is a section of life, and he might change the order to show who Christ is in this situation, who he is in this situation, and who he is in that situation. And that's another one of the reasons why sometimes you read one of the Gospels, one of the first four books of the New Testament that talk about the life and times of Jesus, and the orders are a little different than Mark. It's because Mark goes systematically by, by themes more than 
absolute chronological order. It's the same thing when you come home from a hard day at work. And your day might have unfolded this way, but if someone you're sharing about your day and they're interested in it, you don't go like at 8 o'clock this happened, at 10 o'clock this happened, at 11 o'clock. You might, but sometimes you go with the, the most serious thing first and kind of backtrack or the fun thing that happened or whatever. So it's not that you're not being honest. You're just thematically telling your day's story. Uh, Mark does the same thing. So again, when we think about prayer, we need to get to the place where we trust him, trusting him the way he wants to be trusted. Last week, there were some uh, little prayer uh, suggestions from David Maines in the notes. It just gave you, I think it was six or seven, just little thoughts about prayer and, and, and how God works. And God wants to be trusted the way he is. Sometimes we get into situations where we trust him in an area that, or in a way, or think he's going to show up in a certain way, and if we really knew who he was, we would say, that's not how he's going to show up, because he doesn't show up that way. It's not that he's limited, it's just his normal routine, the normal way he works. So as we think about trusting him the way he wants to be trusted, in Mark, we, we start with this idea of someone who was oppressed. And so we see this in Mark 5, uh, verses 25 through uh, 34. And uh, this is about the woman who uh, physically uh, had uh, an ailment, uh, a woman problem, let's just say, and it just wasn't going away. And uh, we read this in verse 26. It says, a long succession of physicians had treated her and had treated her badly, taking all her money and leaving her worse off than before. And all of us have been in those situations where we've gone to somebody for help. In this case, she goes to a physician for help. And the physician in this case uh, saw finances, saw money, saw a way to earn an income, and wasn't as concerned about helping this lady get healed or get better, but was more interested in taking their money. And sometimes you and I have been in those situations, whether it's getting our car fixed, whether it's something else, and it just seems like they're really not interested in in solving the problem. Uh, They're actually treating us badly. So she's in this place where she's been oppressed. And if you knew the culture of her day as a Jewish person, because of her illness, there were all these rules of clean and unclean and all this kind of stuff. And so she, for they think it was for about 12 years, would not have been able to go to a worship service, would not have been able to go to temple, would not have been able to go to uh, church in a sense. So not only was this physical ailment affecting her physically, financially, it was also affecting her spiritually. And so it was just a, she was just oppressed. And we see how God, how Jesus uh, interacts with her. And so when we think of God saying no, we go, wow, this this lady probably had been praying all this time too. And yet she's not getting any farther. But then all of a sudden we see that in this moment where God steps in because she steps towards Jesus. And we read this. Then Jesus said to her, daughter, you took a risk of faith and now you're healed and whole. Live well, lived blessed. So when we think about situations going on in life and we think about things that are just hard, that don't seem to go away, we need to realize that God wants us to be able to trust in those things and through those things 
Uh, I don't like always saying through those things because it looks like there's an ending to that. There are some things that you're going to have heaviness of life. You're going to feel like you were oppressed, but it's just a part of life. And it's not just a part of life like you've got to say it's okay, but it's, it's, it's not going to, you're not going to have this moment where you get on the other side of it and there's nothing there. Some things continue on. That's the promise of heaven. That's the promise of a, a new heavens and earth. This chapter in life isn't supposed to be heaven. It isn't. It's broken. It's broken. But in Jesus' case, when talking to this woman, he says, I'm going to step in and you're going to be healed because of your faith. You've trusted me. Trust me. Then we also see a person that is distressed. Distressed. Again, all these have little different nuances. Uh, we see this guy named Jairus, a synagogue leader. Uh, he was active in the life of following faith. He was an active church leader person, if you want to say it that way. And uh, he has a little girl that's ill, and uh, he is just distressed at the end of himself. And, and he goes, he goes to, to Jesus and wants them to be, to be healed. And then at the point where uh, he's ready to speak, the, Jairus gets a message that uh, the little girl has passed away. And so this just, oh, it's no, no, don't even bother the master. Don't bother Jesus. It's too late. Uh, Jesus overhears this conversation. Uh, Jesus overheard what they were talking about and said to the leader, don't listen to them, just trust me. And in this case, Jesus heals that little girl brings that little girl back to life. And we go, wow, how does that happen? Uh, we see Jesus doing these kinds of things regularly in the New Testament. Uh, don't completely understand that because we don't see all that happening today. Uh, but uh, we see that Jesus really needed to, in a sense, build up a credibility with the people so that uh, he, they would trust him. But in this case, uh, Jesus is saying, just trust me. And I don't know what your distress might be today, might be what your week has been through. But Jesus says the same thing to me, uh, same thing to us. Know me well enough. Know that I'm a God that you can trust me even in your distress. Lean into me. Trust me. Trust me with your life. Trust me with your future. Again, this chapter of life is one chapter, but there's another chapter of life coming. This chapter of life isn't promised to be all, you know, roses and all of that. There are moments where it's really great and really sweet, but we live in a broken world. Sin brought that brokenness into that world. But the future promise is that. So even in our distressedness, no matter what you and I are facing, and again, it's not like we just throw a switch, at least in my life, I have to, I have to lean in and work it out. It's not like I go, oh, I'm just going to trust God, and it's like gone out of my mind. Sometimes, yes, but most of the time, it's something that wrestle with and in previous message where we've talked about prayer in the last few weeks, we've talked about God's presence really being the super answer to all our prayers, not even just the circumstance changing. And then we get into a very odd, odd, odd story. It's about this possessed man. And uh, we see that in verses 1 through 20. And uh, we'll unfold this a little bit more. Uh, we begin in verse uh, 1. We read, they went across the lake to the region of Gesseris. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him 
anymore, not even with a chain. This guy was just un out of control. We don't completely understand, because our experience is a little different, what it means to be controlled by this impure spirit, but this idea that he was possessed by an evil spirit. And you may say, well, Dave, do you think there are evil spirits? Do you think that's going on today? And I would say, yes, I, I do think that that's possible for today. I think there are individuals that, that uh, have this going on in their lives. We don't see it as much here, but I still think that may not be because we don't we don't see it, but it is here, but there is this idea of possession. But you may not be involved in that. I hope you're not involved in that. But you and I also find ourselves not possessed by spirits, but by possessed by other things in our life. Things possess us. They grab our mind. They focus us so we can relate to him. Uh, when he, the man, saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, why do you, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high? In God's name, don't torture me. He didn't want, the demons did not want to be expelled. They did not want to be expelled to hell. That's what hell was originally made for. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then we read on. When Jesus asked him, what is your name? He said, my name is Legion. He replied, for we are many. It's interesting, again, this idea of names meaning something. Uh, in our culture, we usually name someone because it sounds good. We like the name. Maybe it was a relative, but, but, but we don't name people in strong connection with what their uh, name means. Uh, we don't do that often. So he says, my name is Legion. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send... Um, hit them out of the area, and a large herd of pigs were feeding nearby on a hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to get into them. Again, very weird story here. And then we move on and we see this. He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, that's a lot of, a lot of bacon there, uh, rushed down to the st step of the bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told as uh, those had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. And this is very interesting. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. They were scared of the power of Jesus. Rather than embracing him to be a part of their lives, they didn't want anything to do with it. Sometimes you and I have that same response. We, we, we want Jesus kind of on the peripheral, but we really don't want Jesus too close because of who he is and because of the way it would start impacting and changing our lives. The story goes on and says, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. And at first glance, if you don't know the rest of the story, you say, this is awesome. This guy wants to follow Jesus. He wants to be engaged in what Jesus is doing. His life has been changed in a dramatic way, and, and that, that's awesome. But the verse goes on. Jesus surprises us here. He says, Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your own people 
and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has mercy on you. Interesting concept there. Sometimes Jesus puts us or leaves us in places that aren't our favorite place. He leaves us in places so that we can tell how much the Lord has done for us. And so this man wasn't going to go with Jesus. He wasn't going to be a groupie and travel with Jesus. He was going to stay there and go back to his own places. It's, uh, there were 10 cities called the Decropolis. There were Greek cities, and this man was to go back there. And it's interesting, as you look into the, uh, some of the Pauline, the letters from Paul, uh, you see that this man had, must have had an effect because he gets to places, Paul does, and finds out that there are people there that are following Jesus already. And the thought is that this guy, who Jesus said, no, you can't come with me, did go back and made a difference in those places. And if he had stayed with Jesus, those places wouldn't have heard the way they had heard. So when we think about this, we have a conversation with God, and again, conversation with Jesus. And when we think of prayer, we need to understand that we're having a conversation with Jesus, and we see three uh, responses in there. First of all, there's the first one, the, the impure spirits. It's funny, get a yes. <laughs> they get a yes. They, they, are not, they're, they are removed from that person and go into the pigs. That's what they asked for, and, and they get a yes. And you go, that, that's so weird. Why would Jesus, why would God say yes to them? I, I don't totally know why, but he says yes to them. Again, showing how God acts differently, and we're going to see some overall principles in a few minutes, so maybe why that's the case. And then we also see that the people get a yes. The people say, don't stay here, and Jesus obliges. He gets up, up and goes, and you think that maybe he would have said, no, I'm going to stay here. I've got some work to do, blah, 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 but no, he, he, he follows their lead. He, he responds and gives them a yes, and then the one no that we hear is this man gets a no, and we would think if anyone should have gotten a yes, it should have been this man. The other two groups should have gotten a yes, but the man should have. It should have been, no, no, yes, but it's yes, yes, no. Again, that gives us this idea that when you and I are in these situations and God's working in these situations, which he is, that we don't always get the whole picture. So sometimes he says yes to us, sometimes he says no to us, and sometimes from our perspective, it just does not make sense. Here again is a reference to where the man was from. So we've got to trust God in the way that he wants to be trusted. We have to understand that. We need to lean into that. Then we also have to come to this place where we trust him with the no's is a way he wants to be trusted. We have to say this no is from him. I need to trust him. I need to trust him. Now, again, that does not mean we, not, we stop being persistent with our prayers but you, if you've been following Christ for a little while, a long while, there are sometimes some situations where you pray about them, you're persistent about them, and all of a sudden you get this feeling God really doesn't want this, and you go, that must be a no, and you stop. Then there's other times you keep going. Again, this is about this dynamic connection with God, this, this walking with God. So, so why, there's, a, there's a why to this. There's a why to this, and we've alluded to this a little bit already, but the why, first of all, has to do with God has a bigger perspective. 
God could see, for example, in these three requests, this unusual story, the yes, yes, no. We could see that actually God, in a sense, was in the no in a significant way. Because if he had said yes to that guy, those ten cities would not have been touched in the way they were. That man was an effective witness because they knew who he was. And there's all kinds of speculation about all, you know, what he did. You know, there's theologians have dug and thought about this and thought about that. But the idea is that he had an effectiveness because he was from those places that somebody else might not have had. So God has a bigger perspective. So in that moment, that no seemed like, what are you doing? You're leaving this guy by himself. Here we are, the 12, you know, we get to go off and do whatever. And this is just this one guy. But God has a bigger perspective. In Hebrews, we read, he knows about everyone, everywhere. Everything about us is bare and wide open to the all-seeing eyes of our living God. That's good, and that's unsettling. But God has a bigger perspective. Also, along with this, God has better plans. He just has a big perspective, but he also has better plans. Read in Isaiah, very familiar theme throughout the scriptures. This plan of mine is not what you, you would work out. Neither are my thoughts the same as yours, but my ways are higher than yours. All of us can think of those situations where something has gone awry in our mind. We've received a no. And God is saying, I have a better plan. And some of us have actually experienced that. Some of us have actually experienced a year later, five years later, 10 years, 20 years later. We go, aha, the light goes on. And we see that God had a better plan. And some of those things in this chapter of life will never know personally firsthand that that was a better plan. But some of you study the life and times of your family. I can go back. My dad's done some work on this, and I can see where things went awry, let's say, 100 years ago. Wasn't good. And all of a sudden, because that didn't go well, 60 years later, something good happened. God had better plans. Sometimes we don't think too much into the history and legacy that we have, and the history and legacy that we're going to leave for a next generation, another generation. Sometimes I wonder, and this is just a you know, pastor think I go, but I wonder, wow, Cindy and I no longer live in New England. We live in upstate New York. Never thought that would happen. That's a different place. How will that change the path of our, of our family? Our three girls are meeting upstate New York guys. I hope that's a good thing. But they're, you know, they're meeting upstate New York guys. Is that a good thing? Some of you women are going, no, no, no just kidding, <laughs> just teasing. <laughs> but they're, you know, so that's changing. It's not, it's, they're not naturally uh, Patriots fans. So anyway, um, but, you know, it's changing the, the, the thing. How will that change? Will, you know, two generations from now, will, they, will there even be any connection to the Boston area? Or will it be completely different? And all that is coming into play. God has not just the short-term plans in mind, but the long-term plans in mind of our lives and the lives of our, of our families. These were all commended, these were all commended for their faith. The, they call it the faith, the hall of faith chapter. Yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. And again, the idea is that there are things that you and I are leaning into, 
trusting into, praying through, talking to God about, and it's going to affect another generation or another place. I'm sure the folks that uh, started this church 40-plus years ago never envisioned it would be what it is today. They were part of something, and, and some of those folks never got to experience some. They experienced maybe the hard times where everyone had to scramble together and raise some money and give them their time to, to pull something off, and, and, and now they've gone home to be with the Lord, or they moved down the area, and you folks, some of you who don't even know those folks, are, are, are reaping the benefits of what they did 30, 40 years ago. And it just goes on and on and on. And those folks aren't even aren't able to taste it yet, but, but you're tasting it. Read on, and uh, back in Mark, it says that Jesus left the city of Tyre and went through Sidon down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region. And again, he moves on. He moves on, and we're going to move on ourselves. Let's get to right over here. So what's the how? So how do we do this? How do we, how do we lean in when it seems like God is saying no? First of all, we need to trust that everything God does is motivated by love. Sometimes you and I feel more of this and less of this. But everything he's doing is motivated for love for you and me. And that's just unbelievable. That he loves us so much. And that his love is fitted with his long-term, short-term plan. So that when you and I are in our situation, we need to start at that place. You have somebody in your life. And uh, you know they love you a lot but they say some hard things to you, or they don't do what you want them to do, it's easier to accept it. Even might even get to the place where you embraced it when you know what they're doing is motivated by love. Well, God is motivated by love, and it's a perfect love, and it's a perfect motivation, and he sees the big picture. And so we can even rest in that in a bigger way than those other situations. Again, Psalmist writes about the Lord's ways are loving and faithful to those who are in a covenant, which means relationship, a walk with him. And some of us need to post that on a mirror someplace and remember that what God is doing we trust because he's motivated by love. Also, we need to realize that there are things that I'm never going to understand Moses talks about this. There are some things that the Lord our God has kept secret. And we've got to be okay with that. Now, that doesn't mean we stop thinking. It doesn't mean we stop looking at situations and trying to unpack them. But we realize that we can trust a God that's motivated by love, and we're not going to be able to figure out every little thing. And, and that's Okay. And what's so wonderful is we can lean in and we can trust a God that's motivated by love so we don't have to know everything because a lot of times the reason we want to know everything is to protect ourselves. We want to know all the details so we're not left vulnerable. We're not left exposed. We don't get blindsided by something. Well, God loves us and there are things that we won't understand and I can say that's okay. Sometimes my prayers need to include, that's okay, I'm not feeling it, God, that's okay, help me to feel it's okay, but it's okay. And then also there's the idea of yielding to God's no, and in turn, he gives us grace, or in turn, we experience grace. 
I don't know if you know the story of Paul. Paul was an anti-Christ person. He was trying to stamp out the early church. He was into a different faith, and he thought that was the way to go, and he was just, he was merciless, merciless. And then he meets Christ, and it changes everything, but he still has all that past. The, the early days of his life as an adult were not good days. He was very unkind, horrendous to, to other people. So he had a way through that. He experienced grace with that. But also, Paul had something that, that bothered him, that plagued him. And what's awesome about the account of this is they don't tell us what it is. Because if they said what it was, then when I was looking at my life or you're looking at your life and go, well, you know, it was this. And my thing is this, and my thing is ten times worse than that. Oh, I'd gladly have had Paul's deal than my deal, but that doesn't get said. That, that's left. It's good that we don't know that. But this is what Paul says. He says three different times, and I don't think this was three quick prayers. Lord, remove this. Lord, remove this. You know, it was, it was three different prayer times. And looking at the life of Paul, I'm sure he settled down. We talked about having your tent of meeting, your prayer closet, whatever you want to call it, your place where you shut the whole world out. And I'm sure there were moments where Paul would get into that and spend some time there. And he did this three times. Each time God said to him, no, but I'm with you. And that's all you need. And today, we may find ourselves in that same place. God is saying no to us, but he's also saying, but I am with you. That's all you need. And some of us may have to really drill down into that and say, you know, I, I hear that. I know what that means intellectually, but I'm not yet there in my heart but I want to be there in my heart. I want to say, yes, God is with me, and that is all I need. He is not just the answer for my eternity. He's not just the answer for the next chapter of life. He's the answer for today, this afternoon. You know, sometimes our no's are to remind us God is all we need, and he's big enough, great enough to be all that we need need. Again, said a different way in the new, I was going to say new inspired version. It's the NIV. That was a Bible called joke. But anyway, <laughs> the NIV, it says, uh, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. I don't know if I'm totally there yet, but I do have these moments Probably you do too if you've said yes to Christ where all of a sudden I know I'm at the end of myself and I know that God stepped in and carried me and his grace was sufficient. I don't know if I want to admit it too many times, but occasionally those are awesome times because I know I couldn't do it on my own, and God stepped in and carried me. And in a world that doesn't always think God is a real thing or 
kind of puts that down. I love those moments where I can say, hey, wait a minute. This is a moment where God's grace showed up in my life and carried me through, and it just reminds me that God does love me. I can trust him. And I put that in the back of my mind so when another situation comes up and I'm not feeling it, I remember on blah, 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 blah date or this time in my life, God's grace was sufficient and I'm claiming that truth of who he is for now, for today. So as we try to tie this all together, when it talks about prayer and talks about trusting, we need to remember that your greatest disappointments, my greatest disappointments could just be God's greatest appointments for life. And again, if we wanted to, I could probably take a mic around here, and if you thought for a couple seconds, you could say, yes, I was disappointed in this moment, but that opened up God's greatest appointment in my life, and that's unbelievable. You need to be reminded of those things. Would you please pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we just uh, thank you for these stories of Jesus. Some of them seem a little bit odd, don't totally get our minds around that, but the idea that uh, when we're praying, when we're talking to you, and it doesn't seem like you're coming through, or, or we, you are coming through, but you're giving us a no, help us to see that those disappointments, often in our lifetime, turn out to be some of your greatest appointments, where who you've made us to be fit into that in a perfect way. Lord, I pray again for the person today that is it's just it's right in front of them, that disappointment. Maybe they're living with it. Maybe they found out about that disappointment on the way to church today. Maybe it was Friday, whatever. I, I pray that you wouldn't think this is like a magic wand and sticking their head in the sand, but they would understand that there's this concept there's this reality that we can look at those disappointments and know that you can take them and over a period of time, make them into a wonderful, great appointment. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.